0: All right, hello everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. I think we are live. Uh, I'm your host Carter Laren, and I'm joined as as almost always by Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hello. Hi, Carter. Uh, we are Carrie and I are both super excited today because we have a chance to talk to someone who um, I think we've both been following for a while and who has made even bigger name for himself in the past few years. Um, Mike Cernovich, Mike is a leading independent journalist, filmmaker, and author. His documentary on fake news called Hoaxed is currently, I think, the number one selling independent film on iTunes. Mike's controversial reporting has helped lead to the resignation of Congressman, the arrest of convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Um, his first book, "Gorilla Mindset, sold over 100,000 copies. Uh, he's one of the most lied about people in the public eye, I think. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Cernovich, or you can go to Cernovich.com or HoaxedMovie.com to learn more information. Mike, thank you so much for joining today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And we were number two uh, on Indie, Adam Sandler's film, Uncut Gems, which had a budget of $20 million, um, you know, is still a little bit selling a little bit better than Hoax, but had a budget of 290000 But we're, um, we're like absolutely thrilled, to put it mildly about yeah. how well Hopes is doing.
0: Yeah, well, uh in a week when they play this, maybe that will be true. Uh right. you'll have you'll have unseated him. <laughs> so,
1: close enough. Yeah, the number one documentary too. Yeah, yeah. No it was it was pretty wild actually how I I knew it was taken this is so a lot of people are going, you know, the the in effect helped you and blah blah blah. And I th- it did but not really. So, when Hoax was selling on Amazon, friends of mine were like, "Holy shit, I'm on Amazon, and your film is being told for everybody to watch." So we had like wow. cracked Amazon's algorithm so much that it was either the number one or the number two most recommended film for people to watch. And because so it got what happened, I
0: mean, can you tell people about the Amazon ban? Because maybe not everyone knows.
1: Yeah, sure. So we so Hoax we we signed with a you know real distributor. Because I don't, you know, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And going in, I go, hey, just so you know, uh, you know, you might have some problems. And they go, Oh, no way. This is the story of my life. Whenever I work with people, I was like, just so you know, X, (laughs) Y, and Z is gonna happen. No, this never happens. We're filmmakers, we have all these other controversial films. And I was like, okay, okay, fine. Sure thing. So I monitor analytics. Like, a, you know, I the only reason I'm good at the internet is I have really bad ADHD. So I monitor <laughs> things by like the second. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Hoax isn't showing up in search results. Hmm. So then I, you know, put, posted a link on Twitter. People are like, yeah, it's not showing up on search. And then I go, they're going to ban it. Sure enough, it just vanished. So my distributor talked to Amazon and they were like, dude, what are you doing? Amazon told them, well, all we're going to tell you is that it's not a technical error. We're not going to put it back on, and we're not going to tell you anything else.
0: Whoa, so they've basically admitted it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they, they admitted it fully, yeah. And didn't they say they don't have to give you a reason? Yeah, they said we, we don't have to give you any other reason beyond it's not a tef- uh, technical issue.
0: So remind me again, uh, what was the name of the guy that was in Hoax that
1: runs Amazon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we... <laughs> that we actually think because there's just a little titty bit in there talking about how Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post and then the Washington Post runs propaganda for Bezos and Amazon and Amazon also has a $600 million contract with the CIA. So, you know, one of the little vignettes, I guess, of hoaxed is how uh, these prestigious legacy publications are no different than the private blog of a billionaire, and it's a good investment. Bezos puts five hundred million dollars in there. He's worth you know hundred some billion. It's nothing to him, yep. and he gets protection. Just like I, I'm not sure if this was a hoax or not, but I talked about it. For Carlos Slim, had done the same thing with the New York Times years ago. He saved them during the you know recession. He's not a good person <laughs> to put it mildly. Right. Um, he would be. He's everything that they call Sheldon Adelson. And the New York Times, just, okay, okay, you're good. So that's our point is these these big, prestigious outlets are the private hobby blogs of billionaires.
0: I, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but I think after Carlos Slim invested in the Times, they changed their stance on immigration yes. quite significantly, right?
1: Yeah, the New York Times, it's wild, actually. It's a great point you bring that up. If you go read, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing, because if you read old- <laughs> It's New so York-
0: ridiculous. You have to laugh at it sometimes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So if you go read old articles in the New York Times, it was very hawkish about immigration. Like, well, you know, immigration is, you know, bad for labor. It's bad for unions. You're driving down wages. It was a big issue. And the left used to be hawkish on immigration. And then so the New York Times, you read their old columns and it's unrecognizable. And that shift in coverage did change from carlos slim now the you know we don't want to just play false false correlation why did it change well carlos slim makes all this money he had at least i don't know what he does now but he had a monopoly on cell phones so every person who goes across the border and then calls mexico he gets a cut of that so it's in his interest to get as many customers um, making these international calls as possible right right like i I want to
2: could, Sorry, go ahead, is it Tari. okay if I if I back up just a little bit and because um, I know there are some people watching who um, are not familiar with you and we have a um, I, I don't know if you know my background but I come from the left I used to be what I most often call an SJW and I believed a lot of things about you that. I turned out to be false <laughs> and when I started following you and watching your documentaries and I read, um, bright girl and mindset and, but I still, when I post stuff from you, I still come across people on the left who they know, um, they know just what they've been told about you. So they'll say like, Oh, the pizza gate guy or, you know, which you addressed in hoax. Um, could you, when I started watching you, I was like, I don't, well, he's not radical right wing but I don't even think he's right wing. I don't even know how to characterize you. Would you, do you have, do you, t- do you identify as being on the right or left or what are your political leanings or, cause some Enough. of the stuff I'm, go ahead. Yeah,
1: one thing um, dr- to be direct and then indirect is, the, the indirect answer is that if you're a, a person, you're like a kaleidoscope. And people sort of tilt it a certain way. And then that's who you are. And that's the totality of who you are. There's a, a line, I think, from Buddhist thought, which is you pick up a handful of sand and you call that all of the universe. There's a common human thought process. So people go, oh, Cernovich is this or Cernovich is that. When in fact, I, in a way, I'm like, I'm 42 and I always feel weird saying this, but I'm always like, what do I even do? <laughs> you know, like, why are people so mad? Like, I I, th- I don't I don't even get it. I'm like, what do I do? Oh, God, you're mad about shitty tweets from 10 years ago. I'm <laughs> you know, satirizing something else. You know, but you're not mad about James Gunn's tweets. or you're not mad about, you know, everybody in 2011 on Twitter was a you know, moron. And they're like, well, you know, the Pizzagate thing, I was like, oh, so you, do you mean like how I was talking about Jeffrey Epstein? No, you weren't. Yes, I was. You mean like how I went to court? to win a lawsuit, to get records of Jeffrey Epstein. No, you weren't. It's on, you know, and that's where, you know, and you talked about that in your, the DM, like criticism versus hate is I've never had somebody say, you know what? I don't like this guy. He's the Pizzagate guy. And then I go, Oh, you know, here's the Miami hero, Julie Brown, you know who she is. Yeah. Well you can read her articles and she mentions my role in getting these Epstein records. Nobody's ever said, Holy shit. I had this guy pegged all wrong you know, maybe I'll reassess my view of him. Maybe there's a little more complicated conversation to be had there. It just never happens. And I've so the, the hardest thing, and this will happen as your guys' profile grows, is just people believe things about you that aren't true. They write things about you that aren't true. And at first it hurts, but then you, you, you see it where they're just – I'll give you an example. There was an article in the New York Times or a column, whatever you want to call it, where they claim that my wife was Asian. And it's like, well, no, she's Persian. And they, the whole article, the theory of the article was white supremacists are attracted to Southeastern Asian people because of white supremacy. No, I'm not kidding you. This is actual real a column that you can find in the New York Times. I'm not joking, there's no, you, no, I'm, no exaggeration. And then if you read it, they're like, oh yeah, then Mike Cernovich's wife is Asian. I'm like, you people are just idiots. So first of all, that pretzel logic of, you know, if you're, if you're an interracial marriage, that's really more proof that you're racist than if you weren't. But they can't even at the New York Times, they can't even figure out that my wife is a Farsi speaker, my daughter's name is Saira, the other one's Rumi, Rumi's a Persian poet, you don't have to be the most cultured person in the world to be like oh cyra and rumi i wonder if that's after like cyrus the great or rumi i wonder if that's like the poet and these are supposed to be like learned literate people and then even with the Epstein stuff i had people try to say that i was filing the suit to help Epstein. and i'm j- so at some point your brain will break it'll just scramble if you don't become comfortable with just <sighs> people are going to believe things about me yeah. that are dishonest and some people mean well, most people don't. And then the flip side to that is it's just I'm very conscientious of like if you find me today and you read me for a year, whatever you believe is going to change. But yeah. you're, you're going to have to you're going to have to spend a little bit of time because you're like, oh, it's been a year. He hasn't said anything crazy. I tweet hundreds of times a day, too. It's like there's no like reporters that would get bored with me because they'd be with me. You know, we're cracking open bottles of wine. You know, they're thinking that I'm going to – the real me is going to come out and they're going to get these, like, recordings of me. Hundreds of hours I spent with reporters. And I'm like, no, no, there's no – like, there's no real hidden agenda here. So the left, yeah, they they do have a caricature of you. But MAGA people have a caricature of me. Every, everybody does, and it's just the nature of being any kind of public person.
2: Well, that's you one seem of the things I have. like.
1: No,
0: go ahead, go ahead.
2: Well, one of the things <laughs> I like about you is that you um... – like you said, the MAGA people have a, a caricature view as well, and you you don't seem to be. I appreciate people who aren't beholden to ideology over, for lack of a better word, like searching for truth or trying to figure out what they really think about things. And you piss people off equally on both so-called sides. If you're if you're a person who believes in right and left is important, mm-hmm. then if they actually start following your feed, it's like oh now all the MAGA people are mad at him because he doesn't support what's happening in Syria or you know, it's, it's, you, you are an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> it's because you're just trying to figure out what you think. Um, I had one other, one other question about this though, since you mentioned the, about people like sending hate your way and stuff. I was just, I was wanting to ask your advice on, cause you also, I, I noticed you'll, you'll interact with people. Sometimes some of uh, your biggest critics, you'll, you'll retweet them and you'll retweet people who, um, maybe prove that you're wrong about something or have, have a study that says the opposite. And how do you discern? I'm at a place where I'm trying to be able to discern between the, um, the criticism that's in good faith and the criticism that's in bad faith. So who's, cause then there's the other people you dunk on which is hilarious <laughs> and I don't usually name call but when, oh, when I see you do it, I'm like, how did he do that? That was the perfect person to do that too. So how do you make that distinction between criticism?
1: Yeah. The, so I found that most criticism is done privately. People like you, for example, you'd be like, hey, so people said this like thing about you, you know, is this like a true thing? And that usually comes from a good place, a, a place where you're just trying to understand it. But if you're tweeting out, oh, yeah, did you know Cernovich is the, the worst person in the world because of X, Y, Z? You're, you're not actually trying to – because my DMs are open. You're not actually trying to figure anything out. You're just trying to, to use me to get views, dunk on me to get views. And because of that, I just, you know, I act accordingly. So, like, one thing I do is there. Um, – so the reason my insults are so good is because if you go to a basic human level – Cause it's usually men attack him. It's never women. It's usually, usually men. And there's a, every man is insecure about one of three things, right? His job, you know, how much money he has, you know, how does he look or the attractiveness of his wife or the women that he dates. Right. So what I do is I'm just like, Hmm, I wonder what this guy's insecure about. It's gotta be one of those three. <laughs> and, then, and then, so you just zoom into that like one of three category. I bet it's this okay here's here's where i'm going to here's where i'm going to go in so is that basic human nature where you're finding your one person put it um andrew Morantz wrote a lengthy book about me and before he decided to portray me in a different light to to get the podcast views that he, he went on a huge podcast speaking tour on my name to the ted talk because of me he was like you know i think i figured out what you do and i go what he said, well, you know, you always told me to read How to Win Friends and Influence People and how great the book is. And I said, yeah, Andrew, yeah. He said, so when you're going after people, you just do the opposite of what the book says to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, because you realize when you read, you know, because I'm from a mindset background before this, you realize like people want to feel significant. People want to feel like they, wa- they matter. This, that's why even when people are lashing out at you, that's like a human desire to be seen that's a human desire to be a a consequential person and everybody myself included has has that kind of desire and when you want to win friends and influence people you just figure well how can I help make that guy feel significant how can I make that girl feel significant like what can I do that's going to be in a way their love language right and the so then the converse of that is like oh okay this is this guy wants, you know, he wants to go like this. He wants to come at me like this. I'll, I know how to go after him too. And so then you find ways to make people feel insignificant (laughs) that great some people.
0: Can you talk a little bit about um, what your role is? Cause I know like how you view your role in society. Cause I know, you know, in hoax and Scott Adams has talked about this extensively The the two movies uh, you know, outlook on life and As Carrie mentioned, each camp tries to label you one thing or another. Um, But you've talked about being like a funhouse mirror. And I think that's not a role that people are used to even existing in the world. So when I first heard you say that, it was in hoaxed. And I had already been following you and paying attention to what you're doing. But I would never have thought to characterize what you're doing as a funhouse mirror um, until you said it. And it was like a new category of a person that I hadn't thought about before can you talk about what you mean by that and uh how you fill
1: that role yeah sure so the the that bit and hoaxed was um the funhouse mirror here, here's kind of what i mean by that is people people say oh my god cernovich such a bad person and here's why and they they throw themselves into like a, a fit right like oh they fainting to the couch or whatever so what i do is because they, they really have tried to ruin my life over, over things that, you know, I should have not said or maybe not joked about. And you're like, yeah, that was kind of an insensitive thing to joke about, and I'm not a professional comedian. So, like, to me, that's fair criticism. It's like, are you a comedian? No. Well, then you probably shouldn't go near certain subjects. Fair enough. And – but then I started finding – I was like, wait, they all have these tweets too, you mm-hmm. know? Everybody – who was on Twitter that era has tweets worse than mine or, you know, in the same league. So then I was like, fine, you know, there. So what happened to me is I went on Fox news and I like did so well that there literally was an immediate pushback by the left to get me off Fox news. So I was like, they found things that I don't even think I wrote. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to find your stuff. And I'm going to find your tweets. Okay. you Oh, you tweeted about uh pedophilia. Well, you clearly are not joking because I'm not joking, because if I say anything, then I mean it sincerely. Okay. Then that's what I'm, and then people are like, how dare you? This is weaponized outrage and bad faith. And you're like, wait a minute. How is it bad faith if I do the same thing that you're doing? Well, I mean, it's different. Why is it different? They can never explain that, right? Well, it was just a joke when he said it. Well, how do you know? The James Gunn thing, I think was like the – because first of all, I don't think most of that stuff was a joke. Ha, ha, ha. Mm. Further research has revealed that I think that he may have been harmed as a kid. So that's why I lay off of him now because I think he was just probably processing a lot of things, bad emotions, and probably wasn't acting out of them. So that, for me, that's a little, little little, bit of a delicate issue. But whatever he said, that was bad. That's as bad as you can go. And the media's all defending him. <laughs> Because I found them. Yeah. Bad faith, actor Mike Cernovich, weaponizes outrage, finds these. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, this is literally what you guys did to me. And when I find other people's tweets and I report on them, like I found a BuzzFeed reporter's tweets, pretty bad stuff. Um, So I write about it and they're like, how dare you? And I'm like, well, you've written about my tweets, right? So either tweets matter or they don't. And that's why I make them so angry is because the traditional conservative thing is, oh, my God, I'm being bullied. They're so mean to me, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I'm just going to shine a mirror on you. So if we're allowed to write about tweets, then and you're going to write about mine and, and try to use a few jokes to, you know, get me banned from TV or whatever, that's fine then. I'm not going to go cry myself to sleep in the corner. I'm going to go find yours. And it grates on them and that's yeah. where the the mirror is because i'm shining a mirror on them i'm doing much, nothing any differently than what they do
0: how much self awareness do you think the corporate media actually has because you know when i when i see them blame you for Pizzagate, for example, or the shooting related to Pizzagate, right? And they present you as this guy who's extremely dangerous because he talks about something that might be a conspiracy theory and may or may not be true and, and you know goes too close to the edge there and that's very dangerous and people could die. When they make that case, I think normal people see the media say that and think, isn't that what you guys do all the time? If this small guy over here is that dangerous, how much more dangerous must be the corporate media doing all of this all the time? Um, do they have any self-awareness, do you think, at, at
1: all? No, I mean, having talked with hundreds, hundreds of hundreds of reporters, they, you know, because to talk about the two movies that Scott Adams mentions as an hoax, they really are watching their movie. Very few people can go back and forth between movies and say, oh, okay, here's the Trump movie. Trump, oh, yeah, Trump is great. Maga, oh, he's dunking on this guy. And then the other movie on the left, oh, my God, he's the most terrible person in the world. And then when you kind of flip through both movies, you're just like, God, this was kind of a dumb thing he did today, but he's not actually waging war on the press. This is really dumb. Most people can't, I would say maybe 90% can't even do that, and that includes most supporters. they are like a couple Who are like, oh, yeah, we know that was like that thing we did on you. We knew that was bullshit, you know, but we just did it because it would have got views and we don't like you and whatever. At least that's
0: honest, I guess.
1: Yeah, because I've talked to them sincerely. I was like, explain to me how, because I've said this before. I was like, look, how is me writing about James Gunn's tweets any different than when you write about mine? Well, he was joking. How do you know? Have you interviewed him? No, I've tried to. They want to answer my interviews. I'm like, but I'll answer them. He's hiding from you. So if you were a logical person, you would be like, well, maybe Cernovich is a liar or whatever. But you would be like, well, James Gunn has dodged interviews. So, what, you know, what is he hiding? He deleted his whole blog. You know, like that, that whole cover up. Like if you were there, you just saw in real time, like, shh, things vanish. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, what about this um, blog post? That was, in my opinion, worse than some of the tweets. So no, they don't. They don't have that kind of awareness.
2: I think one of the, the most revealing parts of, about that and, and about, you know, your role as what you said, like a funhouse mirror was in Hoax when you showed the excerpt from 60 Minutes mm-hmm. and they asked you about, um, uh, you know, having a doctor who hadn't actually um, diagnosed or hadn't actually been in a room with Hillary Clinton saying that she had, she was ill and and but that's what they do to trump all the time and it, and it's almost like you like carter saying that i was i was blown away by the lack of self awareness because you asked him he said no she had pneumonia and you're like how do you know that because that's what the campaign told us right why do you believe the campaign <laughs> that was so like, that that was very revealing about the lack of self awareness i think do you think in that moment he realized no he didn't
1: because that's how that's how deeply embroidered or deeply embedded in the system they are and, and fairness like i like I deal this with Trump supporters too all the time. One time I tweet I lost eleven thousand followers at this tweet uh, this was a year and a half ago, maybe I was like, aren't you people just tired of making excuses for Trump <laughs> you know ratio ratio, but it's true oh. Trump, the swamp, he can't hire people that like him because the swamp This And just like he's 72 years old, he's a billionaire. You know, my kid is three and a half. When my kid acts out, I'm like, well, it's my kid. What are you going to do? You got to, you know, figure out a pathway. So when I said, aren't you tired of making excuses for Trump? You'd think the answer would be, well, yeah, actually, kind of, we are. We want to get outcomes. No, no, no. The answer is you don't know what he's going through. You're a fake patriot. You're a grifter. You're this. So that lack of self-awareness that the media has uh, is the same that just anybody who's partisan has. There's nothing special. Yeah.
0: I mean, one of the other things that really struck me about that clip even in Hoaxed, was the laziness that (laughs) the mainstream media just seems to embody in a way that I don't think regular people understand just how lazy reporters are. there's just literally no. I mean, Pizzagate was an example. There's been zero follow-up for any of the stuff that's kind of hokey in those WikiLeaks emails. Nothing. Um, and when you confronted him about, like, well, why would you believe the Hillary campaign? It um, is reporting that lazy, and has it always been? I mean, I know in your in your in your documentary, you've got um, you've got an expert talking about the past and and how the, the history of media. I think it's Jim Kuyper's. Um, but in the last five to seven years, it seems to have gotten a lot worse. And he doesn't really talk about that too much. Has media always been this lazy or like what happened?
1: I'm, that's a good question. So I probably, even though we put him in there and he, he offered that perspective, I think it's probably always been this bad. And, and here's sort of why I'm the reason I'm look really great at what I do is because I stay in my lane. And I don't, I don't venture out. So even with the coronavirus stuff, I'm not going into like deep mathematical modeling or something like that. But there, you'll be a reporter and or at least you'll see on Twitter, somebody will be like, oh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar are having this problem. And now they have an opinion five minutes later. And then I'll, I'll back search their old tweets, right? I'm like, you've never mentioned Qatar in your entire life there's no evidence you've ever been to the middle east there's no evidence you've read a book about the middle east but you now know about the very intricate delicate tribalistic relationships and the 15 different forms of islam permeating through two different oil rich gulf nation states get out of here right so they'll just hot take oh yeah the Saudis are the bad or the qataris are bad or qatar has a air a military base therefore they're good and you can't be, you can't know everything, but they feel like they, they are, they never, it's like, they never graduate undergrad there. You're an undergrad and you like, when I was an undergrad, I had opinion on everything, right? Oh yeah. Free will. Why? Well, because I feel like I ha- did Now people are like, well, it's free will. I'm like, yeah, I think it is. If they want to argue with me, I was like, I'm not going to argue with you. I've read the books. I've read Danette. I've read, I've, I've, I've read all the stuff. Okay. You know, cool. I don't, so I don't feel like if somebody's like, well, I don't think free will, free will exist debate me but like, no no not not, <laughs> not. And, and i'm that way about like a lot of issues is whatever the hot issue of the day is i don't feel like i have to jump in and have an opinion or if i do i try to have an informed opinion so a lot of it is not even bad like take for example saudis versus Qataris. This broke down like i don't know five years ago three years ago whatever the the right take is probably you know i don't think either of them are the good guys or the bad guys is complicated what are they really beefing about same thing with the war in yemen oh the saudis are killing uh, the you know refugees and they're like well yeah but the iranians are using them to fire rockets at the saudis too and there's a there's like a proxy terror war there and it's a pretty complicated sit- so the right answer is, this is a pretty complicated situation but you can't say that you have to be like the saudis are slaughtering rebels or if you're MAGA, you have to be, the Iranians are at it again. You just can't trust them. We need regime change in Syria and Iran because of this. And if you're just kind of in the middle, you're, you're looking at these people like you're all just absurd.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I don't I don't know much about the Middle East, but the other day I, I ended up reading, I couldn't sleep, and I read about the Iranian revolution or the coup in 1953. Um, and I had only known really about the revolution in the 70s, in the late 70s, uh, in 79. And again, it was this kind of like, oh yes, this is a very clear picture of Iran. And then I read about what happened you know, a few decades before and it's like, oh, it's actually, it's not so clear anymore really who the bad guys and good guys are. And the US and the UK aren't completely innocent. Uh, and, and everything seems to be much more complicated. And the thing that's, um, I'm thinking about now is actually the coronavirus is a great example of this. You've got t- two like two sides of the coronavirus narrative that seem to be the whole thing is a, a made up hoax kind of it's like the flu or it's it's an apocalypse and or and Trump has done everything right or everything wrong and you know it's one of these complicated things where the the truth is the nuance in between all of that likely.
2: Was there something I, and, that woke you up as a like, as you were talking about when you were young, when you're in college, and you know you had opinions on everything, and and I definitely, I way beyond college, I was an SJW for twenty years, so I had opinions that were not my own for a very long time, um, and for me, there were there were a series of things that started to wake me up. Uh, one was seeing some of the footage of Trump supporters being attacked on YouTube, which I had never seen before, and some of that was in your film. Um, was there something that, and, not, and maybe you were never an ideologue, you just had strong opinions that you hadn't thought about for a while, but was there, were there something that kind of opened your mind to the fact that um, the mainstream news is not telling me the truth necessarily, or were you always, did you always question the main narrative?
1: Well, I was right-leaning probably when I was younger, I've become much less, less so, and there were things that you would see. So, for example, Al Gore's kid got arrested for marijuana, and unless you knew about the website, the Smoking Gun, where they had the you know the mugshots and everything like that, you just never would have known that. And I was like, well, Jenna Bush buys a beer at UT Austin when she's 19, and that's on the front page of every newspaper. But then Al Gore's kid gets arrested for marijuana, but he doesn't get a fine, and the story gets killed. You're you're just like, okay, this is how this is how the game works. So I never trusted much of that, and especially because I've always been pro-gun and I still am. You, when you read them write about guns, and this is actually resurfacing now in a funny way, well, a lot of liberals are like going to gun stores and they're frustrated because they really believe you can walk out with a gun. You know, give them your credit card. And they're like, I want my gun. I was like, well, no, you can't, you can't have it. I mean, there's like there's waiting periods and it's your first purchase and everything else. So I just known that on issues that I – that I understood the media was pretty bad.
0: Yeah. Well, this, um, the other thing that, that, that's come out recently is this Russian collusion narrative, which I know um, you've talked about in the past, but uh, I'm wondering if what, it's making me wonder if most of what the mainstream media engages in is just projection. Because if you see the, the, the declassified footnotes from the IG report now, it turns out, I'll, I'll, let me quote Senator Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, Quote, these footnotes confirm that there was a direct disinformation campaign in 2016, and there were ties between Russian intelligence and a presidential campaign. The Clinton campaign, not Trump's. I, it seems like time and time again, almost everything they do is projection. Do you experience that as well or no?
1: There's, no, they really do, again, because I've met more than, I mean, I, I've done, I could write a book on reporters that I met because I've spent so much time with these people. Like, so for example, this New Yorker guy to, you know, he wrote this book, big book, and he went to my hometown with me, everything. So that's the level of intimacy I have with everybody from every outlet, from the Atlantic, the New Yorker, to the, like the gutter gawker kind of blogs. They really do, like they're true believers. They are, they are zealots in every sense of the word. Trying to reason with them, is a lot like if, um, you know, a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, and I'm like, well, you know, I respect your point of view. And, or like my parents, too, are like very evangelical. Like, they believe I'm going to hell. You know, they just, we love you. We hope you find God. If you don't, you, you know, and there's no way that I can tell them, well, maybe there's something else to this. And it's the same way. So they are, with them, they have their religion, and their religion is democratic orthodoxy.
0: Well, one of the one of the claims, though, I've seen is like I, I guess James O'Keefe kind of makes this. He implies that it's just because they're about money and that's and not about the truth. Do you think it's just that they're about money? Because it seems to me that they're not just about money. There's other ways. No, they're to make not money. making any
1: money. No, they're broke. No, no, they're not. No, no, they're not making any money. They're so I think they're just there's It's just edi- it's ideologues, edi- and mm-hmm. they all grew up would we and Woodward and Bernstein. So they want to take it down a president. And then that just trickles down to, well, I can't make a president resign, but maybe I can destroy my concern life. Not thinking like I got two daughters, like I got a wife, you know, maybe which works both ways is if you're a sympathetic person or a decent person, you'd be like, well, maybe this is kind of a shitty thing to try to do. Or if you even have a little bit of like common sense, you're just like, well, how would I respond if, if somebody were trying to target the livelihood of my kids? You know, maybe this isn't a very smart thing to do. And there's just none of that because they, it is pure zealotry. It is pure you know, ideology.
0: Is there anyone you know, doing a good job of reporting? Like any reporters you said you've met thousands and like, who's good?
1: Yeah. That's um, in terms of who's good. There aren't many, there are people that will have a kind of a good day and that's that's it there there there's no person who if i read that this person i believe it i'm like well i better i better look behind this i better look behind that but there are people that i think were fair like so for example moran's articles were fair his book was fair and then he went he uh, he was a good writer and then he goes to these talks and so i'll give an example the book's like pretty straightforward, pretty clean about my life. Then he goes on a podcast with Sam Harris and says, well, yeah, I found Cernovich's divorce records and he didn't want me to find these. I had to really dig. And it's like, I showed you them myself, right? Like you (laughs) didn't have to dig for these. The only reason people know that I made money in a divorce is I've talked about it. There, there's no like sleuthing that you had to do. And so that was a little, little disappointing because he was somebody who I thought was, you know, pretty far left in terms of his views, but you could generally speaking, rely on what he was writing. You're like, well, that's true. It might be slanted. You're putting together facts of a person into a puzzle and that the mosaic is going to look for everything because even my own people, I've linked to things about me that I thought were pretty fair. And like, if you like me, you're like, I can't believe they wrote that thing about you. Like, what are you talking about? Like they, you know, they said that I've made some mistakes and I have. So people love you. They, they get mad too. And, the ultimately, everybody in media, they have to pander to their base. And the left, if they write, I had a reporter tell me, he said, if I write anything about you that's nice, I get emails, like hate mail. You're legitimizing them or whatever, even if it's true, right? That's why I was written out of all those Epstein stories is because if you tell the truth about me, then you're going to just get a ton of hate mail. So, you know, why, why write about them? But by playing to that audience and your audience takes control of you.
2: I, I, you Mm. actually tweeted something like that about Michael Moore recently. You said his audience is controlling him now. And, and I I used to be a huge Michael Moore fan and I I would say anyone looking at him objectively now would say that's true. Um, when you start to try and please the audience rather than just doing your work and trying to, you know, find the truth in your work, um, you're catering. And, and that, that also makes me think of something else you were talking about and I, I wanted to ask you about the, um, Chris Cuomo had his kind of rant and meltdown recently and you shared it and you were like, he's right, there's this golden cage that people in the public eye get put into and some of us some people have more a a greater degree of freedom than others like you were you were saying that you have a lot more freedom than he does because you're independent. but can you talk a little bit about what that cage is and how it's different for different people? Because he was sort of, for anybody that didn't watch it, he was ranting that because he's in the public eye, if if a man comes up and approaches his family and starts insulting him, he's not allowed to just you know tell him off the way that an average citizen would be able to. Yeah, what so kind of restrictions do you feel like are around you? Right. That. So yeah, Cuomo's, what they call the rant, I thought he was just
1: speaking from the heart, was Like, if you have a show you do every day, you have to talk about whatever the news of the day is. And that's his cage. It's just mostly bullshit. Trump yelled at Brian Karim because Brian Karim was – and you're like, this is fucking dumb. This is just a dumb thing. This is – why am I spending my time thinking about this? But you have to talk about it. And then, moreover, you have to choose a side if you're on CNN. Trump is attacking the free press yet again – can you believe how he's persecuting all these poor journalists? And should we even air these press? Co- that's what your life is, bro. And there, there's a, me, I've had shitty jobs. So as far as shitty jobs go, that's not even a top 10, but you know, even if you have a shitty job, you're like, you know, I, I did town corn. I was like, man, this sucks. Uh, it, it isn't like if you're having to, to play into this hyper-partisanship, you don't think, yeah, this job sucks. All things considered. And he was speaking that. And I, and I feel that way a lot, too, which is less so because I've alienated so many people over the years. But, like, I was pissed off about that uh, bailout of Boeing, 96-0. You know, every, every senator was there voted for it. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to help Democrats win. And people, you know, if you know me, you're like, oh, God, you know, there's Mike ranting again. But I lost, you know, 10,000 people. And I was like, good riddance. You were all fucking dumb anyway. Right, you really think i 'm going to door knock for Diane Feinstein i don 't even door knock for Mitch McConnell right <laughs> well wait i 'm glad you brought this up because
0: I know you don 't have a lot more time left, and I wanted to talk about the two thousand and twenty election coming up uh, what 's going to happen
1: <laughs> i don 't know that Joe Biden survives um, that 's why i 've been deliberately um, cagey when i 'm responding to that because. There's, I don't think Joe Joe Biden. There's a non-zero chance that he doesn't make it. He's clearly not a healthy guy. But, but Wisconsin was very bad for Trump. People can say, well, Trump was running unopposed in the primary, and da, da, da. like I know all the, the counter arguments. I think Trump has lost Wisconsin. The coronavirus is bad on boomers. That's his voting base. So he's going to lose a few thousand people just through coronavirus, whatever it is, even if it's not as dangerous as, as you know we've been told. He's still going to lose, he's just going to lose a net number of voters there for sure. I don't think he's gained voters. You know, everybody wants to say, well, all these other people who liked him don't like him, a few, but we're talking a few people who are kind of like never Trumpers anyway. So what happens is you're like, oh yeah, this guy hated Trump, Eric Erickson, but now he's pro-Trump. And I was like, well, yeah, but I was around in 15 and 16 and Eric Erickson went all in to stop Trump and couldn't. So how much clout does he really carry? Same thing with Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck was did this infamous skit where he put cracked uh, crack Cheetos in a bowl and put it on his face and said, I'm the Cheeto man, Donald Trump. And all Glenn did was lost his audience. So it doesn't like, Oh, Glenn Beck is pro Trump. Now whoop do do? What is that? A hundred votes maybe that, that he could flip national review, Dana Loesch, they were all anti-Trump. So I, I think it's bad. I think it's a bad map for Trump, but the flip side is Democrats have chosen to run a very feeble and unfit Joe Biden. That's, so that's my, that's my way of saying, uh, I don't know. But if Joe Biden physically survives three three debates and physically makes it to the poll, I think it's a good chance that Trump loses. Wow.
0: What about what about the walkaway movement? You hear a lot that's, of people say like, oh, I used to be a Democrat. Or, I mean, Kerry's actually in this camp, right? She was a social justice warrior. And now, I don't know, are you going to vote for Trump, Kerry? Well, see,
2: know. so – I finally decided a month or so ago I'm going to vote for him unless there's some unknown third party person who enters who I really like. And then because I believe in voting my conscience, I would choose that person. But I can't imagine who that would be. So I'm probably going to vote for Trump. And I'm a person who cried the night he was elected and was calling him a demagogue. And so my perception is probably skewed because I've since met a lot of other walkaway people. And so I know a lot of people who didn't vote for him who hated him and have really swung towards um some of them even became republicans um yeah it's a good question what do you think of that movement do you think there it's a lot of people or
1: i think it feels like a lot because it's prominent people who are in the media that was why you know like take the never trump phenomenon for example a lot of people thought the never trump phenomenon was millions of people and that is in a way um segues into hoax is you think that because CNN has a panel, I'm a lifelong Republican, now I hate Trump. National Review, we all hate Trump. The Blaze, we hate Trump. Washington Post, conservative columnists, we hate Trump. So if you're reading the media, you're like, oh, wow, there must be like millions of people who just aren't going to vote for Trump. This is a really big movement. Then you find out maybe it's like 300,000. I mean, remember that guy Joe Walsh tried to run against Trump in Iowa, and he was laughed in the room. So I think that the bias on right now with the walkaway people is – you know, you have a lot of charming, charismatic people. There's a lot of promotion of the walkaway movement from the Trump campaign, turning points, promoting it. There's a lot of – because you want to get these people front-facing, right? And say, look, there's all these people. So if you're in that media world, you're like, yeah, yeah I'm going to generalize that into like millions of voters. So, but, then you, but then you watch, the, for, for example, the Democrat election results. Who saw Joe Biden was going to be the nominee, right? Scott Adams mm-hmm. thought it was Kamala Harris. Uh, I thought it would be probably be more war- if I I didn't choose, but if you'd have made me bet, I would have bet it'd be Elizabeth Warren. Um, I just I felt like we're in time for like a, a calm, sober woman who's good on economic issues. You know, I didn't think the Pocahontas stuff would stick that much, and <laughs> it's Joe Biden. <laughs> so, you know, I think you know we're we're all sort of our our biases are always going to be what they be. Yeah, so I thought it would have been. When when people go, who's going to win the Democrat primary? I go, well, the media wants Kamala Harris, but I think it's going to be Warren. <laughs> no, it's Joe Biden. He destroys Bloomberg, who spent a billion dollars. He beat Bernie. He just crushes everyone. So I'm, I'm thinking here, okay, whatever I'm watching, whatever tea leaves, you know, I'm tossing on the table to kind of read, I need to find better tea leaves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
2: Hey, before you go, um, I want to ask, so you've done, I'm really impressed with the way that you've just kind of decided you're going to do something new and then you go do it. You know, you've been, we talked about you were mostly in mindset world. You did the book Guerrilla Mindset and then you got into independent journalism and then you did this um, documentary film Hoax, which is one of the best films I've seen in the past few years. Um, What, what, uh, is there anything you haven't done yet that you're interested in doing?
1: Oh, yes, I want to. Yeah, that's a great question. So I want to do a very deep novel. I don't think I'm ready for one of those yet. So to pay the bills, I got to get another mindset book out audacity how to go from nobody to somebody, which is essentially a guidebook on, you know, how you can do everything. And I didn't feel that, that I could authentically release that book until I'd done it all. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that there aren't a lot of people who have done what I've done. And then once I have that out, yeah, I've, my last kind of work is I want to do like a really rich spiritual legacy novel. I don't know that I'll hit alchemist levels, but something along that line, just a really soulful piece of work that people will read and would never have imagined that I could have written that. Cool. That's yeah. eight years away though. I'm 42. So I don't think I'll be... <laughs> you know, I don't think I I've lived quite enough yet. I think right when I'm about 48, 49, then I'll sit down and do that one.
0: Well, then this, this rolls into the last question and then we can let you go. But the last question is, um, and I, you know, how has becoming a father changed you? It's more of a personal question, but I, you know, I know you were, you were kind of this young fast and loose guy when you rose to, to prominence. You're a dad now. Uh, how's that changed?
1: Yeah. The, the number one thing is, um, to, so there's private and public, and privately, I just do a lot of dumb shit, you know. I was uh, very, f- whatever the opposite of risk averse is, I was. You want to jump off this cliff into the water, sure, I'm, you know, how many feet is it? I don't know. Like one time I landed and I felt, as, it was like I felt the surface area friction of the water where it didn't give way for a second because I was too far down. I was like, oh, man, I think I'm about to break my foot. fortunately, I hadn't. So I was the guy who would do that. Like, I'll just take any kind of risk. I don't really care. I'll be fine no matter what happens. So privately, I don't, I don't do much risky activity. I don't do, you know, much YOLO kind of stuff, which I used to do before. And then publicly, it's made me like more empathetic. So when people like lose their jobs, before I might be like, well, you know, I didn't really understand you have kids, right? It's like a different thing. So right. my core demos men say 25 to 44, most of them don't have kids. And if some guy's like, well, it's my job. I was like, I don't care. Go to the gym or something, bro. Go cry yourself to sleep. You know, what's your problem? And sometimes that, and that's the right answer if you're a young single guy with no kids. That's, yep. the, there is the right answer, which is go, you're fine, dude. I don't know. I don't know in your own mind why you think the world is ending. What, what are you going to do? Go sleep on someone's couch, it, it, right? We've all been there. Right. But but when you look at people, you have kids, you're like, oh, my God, you know, this is like devastating for people. So it's made me certainly policy wise more more of an economic populist, I think, than I already was. It makes me a little bit more wound up about, you know, Boeing get 17 billion or whatever they're getting. And they're all just looting the country. And then just the average guy making 15 bucks an hour, average, you know, single mom making 15, 18 bucks an hour. They're just getting the shaft i feel that in an emotional way that i didn't feel before having children
0: well um yeah great answer thank you for sharing that with us mike um i know you got to run so thank you so much for taking the time to be with us we really really appreciate it and uh good luck on your next project and i know i speak for carrie also when everyone should watch hoaxed when i say this everyone should watch hoaxed it is uh I'm not saying that just because Mike's here. We've said this in the past. Uh, It's a a great documentary. It's an eye-opening, red-pilling documentary that uh, should be widely distributed. Probably should be in every high school. So um, thanks again, Mike.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.